You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Boy, it's really great to be with you again tonight. Um, tonight is this bridge, so Monday morning, yesterday morning, which feels about a month ago to me, um, we talked about the first seven chapters of Leviticus and about the sacrificial system. And the real lesson is from the sacrificial system, we were trained never to get too far from who God is and always to, to understand that we're not God. And then last night, we talked about uh, uh, Leviticus 8 and 9, um, and, uh, or 9 and 10, something like that. Anyway, somewhere in Leviticus, right there, 8, 9, 10. We were talking about this, the story of Nadab and Abihu and unholy fire and what it takes to stoke holy fires. And then, uh, and tonight is sort of a bridge between, um, between kind of those stories and, and tomorrow morning. Sort of what we've been doing is weaving in to these lessons from Leviticus, the 12 steps of recovery. Um, so Monday morning, uh, the, the, f- the first step about the whole, um, there's a God and I'm not it. Uh, the first two steps of recovery of the 12 steps are um, that um, I, r- I realize I'm powerless um, I, uh, to, to heal myself and that I need a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity. I'm powerless against my own defects. And then step three is I, I sought out a, a I, I, I gave myself, I willed myself to look for a power that's greater than me to restore me to sanity. And that was last night. So tonight is a sort of a bridge between step three and tomorrow morning we're going to be in step four. But first, I have to tell you what happened today. Because this is like huge. I mean, maybe not to you, but it was to me. Um, this morning I woke up and I was immediately like I just hated tonight's message. I already knew I hated it, but this morning I really knew it was that the message I had, now that I've met you, just that, that message was not going to do it. And um, of course, all my messages are right there on my MacBook Air, and I could just work it. So I got up, and I got some coffee, and I sat down at the table, and my knee bumped my coffee. And you know, I, like, like, it looked like there was no coffee gone from the cup. But evidently, the drop that came out went directly into the tiny crevice in my computer, and it fried. I heard it. <laughs> and a MacBook. This wasn't like some, you know, the other kind. This was a MacBook. And it was gone. And it sort of looked like, you know, that the, the screen did that thing like a bad fluorescent light, you know, that causes epilepsy. And I... <sighs> and... So I called Apple support, and she did a couple of tests, and she said, yeah, you're probably going to have to go to the Apple store. And uh, so I got myself together, and I went to the Apple store. 10 o'clock is what time they open. I walked in 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock at your Apple store. It was like, if you weren't there at 10 o'clock this morning, you were the only person in all of Lexington not there. I thought, meant like, are they having some sort of company party in here like the place was packed it was packed and I'm thinking this is not go well because even when the Apple store is empty it takes three weeks am I right or am I right and and so so the woman gets my little 
information and says, okay, go sit at that table. It's probably going to be like a 30-minute wait. As soon as I sit down, this guy walks over to me, and he says, you're traveling. And I said, I am. How do you know? He said, because we watch your study on our Sunday school class. I said, my friend, what had happened was, see, I'm preaching at Asbury University this week, and he said, Jen, 2010 alum, we're going to fix you up. What are the chances? So, so he, y'all aren't nearly as excited as I am. <laughs> Somebody should be falling out in the spirit right now. Because it's all I could do not to fall out in the spirit. So he recognized me. He was an Asbury alum. He loves Holiness Week. And the, you know, he started off, yeah, usually to migrate your stuff takes about two days. Let me see what we can do. Ooh, and he, get, he opens it up and he goes, ooh. Does that, you know, the, you remember the um, Hebrew, uh, the implied part of Israelite? Ooh, bless your heart. And, <laughs> and, then he, and then he goes over and he talks to his manager and he said, listen, we're going to set you up. We're going to give you the company rate. You're going to have to have a new computer, but we're going to give you the company rate. We're going to migrate it all. Two hours later, I had, it was all there. What are the, what are the chances? Come on. What are the chances of God doing that kind of good thing for his clueless daughter in Christ who really needed a message? So, um, so did I, oh, and did I mention that his last day working at Apple is this Saturday? If this had been next week. So I'm glad I'm preaching Holiness Week and not Revival Week. <laughs> um, <laughs> So what all that tells me is, listen, what all that tells me is God is in the details. God is in the details. So if you're taking notes, write that down. That ends up being the whole message tonight. Um, not just because I wanted to make it out of my computer story, but because that's really the whole message of this next section of Leviticus. God is in the details. Um, we say, we're going to say this every single time we get together. The best way to engage a message, whether you're here or in your church, is with a Bible, something to write with, something to write on. So pull out something to write on so you can take some notes and uh, make notes in the, in the margin of your Bible or on your phone or however you do it. A commentator has said that Exodus is God in the cosmos and Leviticus is God in the details. So Leviticus really is God in the details. And I believe the word I have for you tonight is is this, somebody in here needs to hear this, that God sees, God knows, and God cares. And while it may even seem like a small thing to the people around you, much like you seem to have absorbed my big story from this morning, if you, some, or if you somehow think your complicated moment is too small for God to care about, I want you to be encouraged tonight because God sees, God cares. And sometimes things look like they aren't going to amount to even enough, you know, to get you where you need to go, but do not discount small beginnings. <laughs> There's another place in, in the Bible where it actually says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Because God is in the small things. God is in the details. Just as surely, you know, they always say the devil's in the details. Well, guess what? God's there too. Just as surely as the devil is in the details, the Lord is there. And in a fight between 
the lover of your soul and the enemy of your soul, the lover of your soul is always going to win. So God is in it with you. Whatever you're carrying tonight, big or small, God is in it with you. So let's pray. Lord, um, I'm praying uh, for the person tonight who just feels like either they're too small or that nobody cares or that you don't see or that nobody really, that, that they don't feel somehow seen, heard, and treasured. I'm praying for that one tonight who needs to hear that even the small stuff matters, and it's not just the small stuff we do, it's the small stuff done to us. Lord, root out everything in us that needs to be uh, exposed so that we can experience your glory and your joy. Thank you, God, that you're in the details. Thank you that you're in the little stuff as well as the big stuff. So give us eyes to see you in the word tonight and ears to hear you and a heart to receive you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Hebrew word for holy is Kadesh. It's, uh, the anglicized spelling is Q-O-D-E-S-H, Kadesh. We find that word more than a hundred times in the book of Leviticus. So tell me what the book of Leviticus is saying to you. It says we are to be holy because God is, that's right. So it probably means that God has a message in Leviticus about what it means to live a holy life. If he says it a hundred times, anytime, you, you guys know this, but anytime you see a word repeated in, in a passage, it's, it, it's there for emphasis. Pay attention to it. When holy comes up a hundred times in a book, it means something. 17 times in Leviticus 21 and 22, called the Holiness Code, we find either that we are holy or that God is or that we're to be holy because God is. 17 times in two chapters. 12 times in those two chapters, the instructions for priests is, is punctuated with this, I am the Lord. All the way through the whole, it sort of sounds like, you know, almost like when your parents would say, because I said so, that's why. Because I'm your mom, that's why. Some things it's like God's just saying to you, because I am God, that's why. <laughs> you don't have to understand it all the way. Just the person who loves you most, who loved you first, I am. That's why. So God makes it clear. The, the point here is to know God as he is. We do the things that we do, that, that, that God tells us to do in Leviticus. We do them so that we can identify with God so we can know him, so we can align ourselves with God's priorities, which is how we are distinguished from the rest of the world. So in other words, God says, I have not changed. <laughs> even though your moods may swing, come on, I need an amen from somebody in here, not because your moods swing, but because your roommates does, okay? <laughs> even though your moods may swing and the clouds hang low and your perspective shifts and your faith wavers and your circumstances altered, I am the same. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I have not changed, says the Lord. What I have promised, I will deliver. Even if you forget who you are, or if the surrounding people don't know your history, and even if you don't either, I will not change. I am still the same powerful, loving, holy God who cares for you and who wants to bring you into your destiny. I am who I say I am. Neil Anderson, in his book, Who I Am in Christ, says the most important knowledge we possess is a true knowledge of who God 
is. Knowing who he is grounds us in who we are. You're not who you are in Christ because of the things you have done, Anderson says. You're who you are in Christ because of what he has done. You're to be holy, to pursue healing, to go after wholeness because I am. So last night we looked at chapters 9 and 10 and we talked about what it looks like to carry holy fire. We talked about the set-apartness of the priesthood and how in the new covenant God gave the priesthood to all people who follow Jesus. So anybody who follows Jesus is to embody the holiness of a priest. But holiness comes, we say this every single time, holiness comes by proximity, not proficiency. In other words, it's how close you are to God, not how good you are at walking it out. And that's the key word tonight as we go from Leviticus 11 to Leviticus 15 on our way to the Day of Atonement. Tomorrow night's going to be, I mean, tomorrow morning's going to be a pretty big morning. I just want you to get yourself ready. I want you guys who are here in the evenings to be among the first ones to respond tomorrow morning because I believe God's going to do such a work unleashing forgiveness in this room tomorrow morning. Won't that be awesome? So I want you to listen to me. Leviticus 11 through 15 is just weird, okay? It's just weird. This is where God gives the Israelites all the rules about clean and unclean food. You know, if the animal chews the cud and has a split hoof, clean. If the animal has a split hoof but doesn't chew the cud, unclean. If the fish has scales, clean. If the fish has no scales, unclean. There goes your catfish, your fried catfish meal, folks. It goes on like that. Catfish doesn't have scales, does it? No, yeah, so no more catfish, sorry. Um, it goes on like that for all of, I'm just joking, right? We know the sheet and Peter and all that stuff. Okay, it goes on like that for all of chapter 11. And chapter 12 is all about the regulations about women who birth babies. And chapter 13 through 15 are all about skin diseases and molds and discharges. And the detail around these verses is kind of amazing. It's stuff like if the hair that comes up inside the blemish is white, then that person is unclean. If the hair that comes up inside the blemish is brown, that person can still be clean. What in the world is all that? The answer to the what comes in a verse that sort of sums up the whole section. It's Leviticus chapter 15, verse 31, where he says, it kind of sums the whole thing. You must keep the Israelites separate from things that make them unclean so they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place which is among them. So all of this is about proximity. That's what it is. All these weird rules, it's really about if, if you're going to come close to me, you need to be careful how you present yourself. So that's the what. Keep the Israelites clean and healthy so they don't die because I, the Lord, am about life. And that's what we are about in, the, in, in this tabernacle you've built for me, this tent of meeting and my sitting among you. I am all life and not any death lives in me. So let me say something about the word unclean. It's all over those five chapters, uh, Leviticus 11 through 15. Unclean doesn't necessarily mean sinful. 
Unclean simply means that because you've touched death, you need to step back for a minute and let the moment pass. There was an impact to your body. If you, you know, if you, if you find yourself with some lesion on your skin or if you find yourself with, with junk coming out of your nose, let that, just give your body time to heal. Isn't that sort of sane? Like, you know, isn't that, come on, isn't that, don't you wish, don't you wish the world today gave you just, just give me a minute. I woke up feeling bad this morning. Give me a minute. Doesn't that feel so much more sane than push, 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 push? So think about the mercy of that teaching for a priest who's told you can't touch a dead body. So a priest knows that. In order to do his priestly duties, he has to steer clear of dead things, which means if he ever is going to touch, touch a dead body, it's got to be for a really good reason, right? Probably he's only going to touch a dead body if it's his dad and his job is to bury him. Or it's his child and he's overcome by uh, grief. Can you see the priest? holding his child, crying. And the code says, when that's happened to him, give him some space. Don't ask him to take care of your stuff. Don't call him and tell him you need him to meet you at his office because you've got a problem. Give him some space to be human, too. Isn't that gentle? It's this book that we've always thought of as so hard and harsh and Oh, it's the fun sucker outer book. Actually, when you look beneath the surface, there's so much kindness. It's about how to live in community gently with one another. So to the priest, God is saying, I, you can't carry everybody's everything. If you do, you'll constantly be disqualifying yourself from the things only you can do as a priest. So give everybody and yourself to a little space. When you know the why, so much of this detail in Leviticus becomes kind of a gentle oil in the community, helping people know their limits and how to live with each other. Why? Why they are to spend less time up close and personal with death-spreading things and so that they can spend more time in close proximity to the life-giving God. Simon Sinek has a book, Start With Why. Anybody in here read Start With Why? Awesome book. It's a classic business primer, a huge success. He talks about the critical difference it makes when we ask the right questions and answer the right questions when we're casting vision or looking for purpose. If you want the, um, what, what's the, what's y'all's cliff, what do y'all call cliff notes? There's something else, right? Spark notes, is that it? No, something, is that it? Okay, Sparknotes, yeah. Um, it's this, the Sparknotes version of Start With Why book is the TED Talk by Simon Sinek. You should look it up. Just go to TED Talk, you know, the TED uh, app, and, and uh, type in Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K. You owe it to yourself to watch it. He says most people and businesses in the world are better at asking and answering the what questions, so we start there. And most people understand the what. It's, it's, it, it isn't hard to tell you what we do and what matters. But when we're talking about holiness, the what can breed the spirit of religion. We said this Monday, remember? Do all these things and your life will be great. And this is sort of what happened to the priests. It's the part that made Jesus so crazy about 
the priests in his day and time because over time, over generations, they did what was written down, but they forgot the why. So they came to see ceremonial cleanliness as somehow making them better. They saw holiness as a checklist, and they saw faithfulness as keeping the rules. I want to tell you about our bedroom door um, in my house. We've lived in the same house for 17 years now. And our bedroom door isn't hung exactly right, and so it kind of, it kind of floats open unless you, you either have to shut it or you have to stick something behind it so it can stay just that much open. And so when one of us gets up before the other person in the morning, we'll, um, we'll uh, pull the door, you know, about that close to being closed, and then we'll stick a pillow behind it. And the reason for lots of years we did that was because we also had a cat who... Um, treated the door like a punching bag. She could be dead asleep, but as soon as you close that door, bam, 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 bam. So to keep the cat from doing that to the person who was asleep, we would um, just prop the door open so she could see she could still get out. A um, little bit of a paranoid cat, another story. Um, so anyway, um, one day I'm, I'm propping the door closed, and it occurs to me, the cat's been dead for six months. And we're still propping the door closed. And now we can close the door all the way because the cat doesn't care. So we've been doing this for all these years, sort of thinking about, you know, because we forgot the why of why we were doing it. And that's sort of what happened to the priests over time, over generations. They did what was written down, but they forgot the why, so they came to see ceremonial cleanliness as somehow making them better. They saw holiness as a checklist, and they saw faithfulness as keeping the rules. They'd forgotten the point, thinking they could cause their own purity. You can't cause your own purity. Holiness isn't something we do. It's something we are. It's the very character of a loving, creative, joyful, joy-giving God who has told us we can become loving, joyful, creative, joy-giving by sheer proximity to him. Holiness is the ultimate form of freedom. It causes, calls out the best in us and causes us, when we live it well, to glorify God. Holiness is the design of life that exposes us most fully to the heart of a good, loving, and creative God. We are holy by exposure to God, not exposure to rules. Praise God. And I'm convinced this is the cure for the spirit of rebellion that nags at every fallen human. Our need is not to get our behavior right, but to get our relationship with Jesus right. So, Jesus, Jesus came to reset the standard. He is the unblemished lamb, the husband of one wife, the church is his bride, pure life without death, compassionate toward the least, the last, and the lost, a priest who mediates for us, who won't leave us behind, who has gained access to the holy of holies by his own sacrifice, who came to give life and give it abundantly. 
to read these lists in the middle of a weird book like Leviticus as a loving God who knows our design, who is gently helping us to live well in community. They are the, they are the what, but not the why. And the why is what matters. And Leviticus gives us the why in chapter 11, verse 44 and 45. Listen to this, he says, 40, 11, 44, and 45, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. Underline that phrase, who brought you up out of Egypt. So there are two whys in these verses. The first one explains why the Lord gave the Israelites all these detailed regulations because now that the Israelites are no longer slaves in Israel, I mean in Egypt, now that they're free people, he's going to teach them how to be holy. And that involves making decisions on a daily basis, taking the intentional actions on a daily basis. Remember what we said you know, that, that in the sacrificial system, you were constantly having to beat a path back to the door of, of the tent of meeting to make your sacrifices. You could never get too far from the understanding of who God is. Well, now here with this, um, uh, with all these um, uh, guidelines about how to live inside our bodies, now he's made the temple into our bodies. You can never get too far from yourself without understanding who God is. Now he's helping us to see that, you know, the, the holiness is within, like, almost like, almost like someone is living inside of you. It's almost like he's taken the doorway of the tabernacle and he's transferred it to our bodies so that even if we aren't in the tent of meeting, the tent of meeting is in us. Does this sound familiar, my friends? Don't let anybody tell you this is not relevant. <laughs> the second why explains the reason God rescued these people from slavery in the first place, and it's, it's an extraordinary, magnificent reason. Why did he bring them up out of slavery? Can anybody tell me? Why did he bring them up out of slavery? Why? So he could be their God. That's it. So he could be their God. That's the whole point of Exodus. In fact, that's the whole point of everything. Why did God create the human race, you and me? Why did he send Jesus to save us? Because he wants to be our God. He wants to be your God. Do you hear that? You who are struggling with the spirit of rejection, you who think that you are bothering God with your tiny, detailed prayers, do you understand he wants to be your God? He wants to be there for every single phone call, for every single hurt. He wants to be there in the details. Your God is a God who delights in every cell of your body, in every detail of your being. Come on, you got to amen me on this. I don't I, see at home, everybody amen. So come on, give it to me one time, please. Amen. Thank you. I can go home happy now. God hasn't given all these rules because God is a cosmic fun sucker outer. 
In the words of H.L. Mencken, all these Christian rules are not based on the fear that someone somewhere is, is, is not going to be happy with me if I don't do them. No, it's because he loves us. He wants to be close to us because he loves us and he wants the best for us. The one who makes these commands is for us, not against us. He's the one who delivered us from slavery. God did not deliver you from slavery so he could make you miserable, so he could fill you with shame and guilt, so he could barely tolerate your presence. God delivered you from slavery. In fact, gave his only son on your behalf because he delights in you. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. My friends, a holy God is still at work every day with every human on earth, still inviting us out of slavery, inviting us out of G Egypt through Jesus. Jesus is the answer to our own enslaved mentality. Jesus is our answer to death seeking behavior that chokes out life. Rather than avoiding the world, Jesus has stepped into the world and made it right by his blood. Jesus becomes our hope by being here, and in the being here, he changes the way we look at things, taking us from living life victimized by a past of brokenness and pain to living a life that is rooted in the truth of a good and holy God who has presented himself in the person of Jesus Christ, who has given himself on your behalf because he delights in you. He wants to be in community with you. Do not despise the day of small things. Your small bank account, <laughs> your small room, your limited resources, your little dream, your little face. Friends, God is in the details. And God is ready to heal you all the way through to redeem that small thing so that it becomes a sign of life to you. That thing that you're dealing with that looks for all the world like death may well be the very gate of heaven, the opportunity for God to redeem you and let you feel what life really is. A window into the kingdom. Do you see it? <laughs> My friends, God loves a challenge. He loves a challenge. Tell him that his people have to make bricks without and, and find their own straw. Ah, he's got it covered. Give him a 14-year-old girl and tell her she has to have a baby without having sex. He's like, on my day off. pick up the guy who's holding the coats of somebody who's, uh, of the people who are stoning the first martyr. Ah, he's going to follow me one day. And your stack of syllabi and your unfinished term paper and your hard relationship with your mom or dad and your broken past, and your porn addiction, God's not afraid of you. He is not afraid of you.
or your suffering or your sin, he says, come on. Come to the temples. I mean, come to the, to the door of the tabernacle. Come to the door of the tabernacle. In fact, let me just put the door of the tabernacle in you. And let's deal with it. No problem too big, no detail too small. He's got you covered. Stand up. So somebody in this room, somebody in this room has something that you've just always felt more shame about than you've been able to vo vocalize. And you said, you know, I just can't bring it to God. He didn't, he didn't care. He'll, he'll, he'll smite me or do whatever, smoke me or whatever God does to people like me. And you are the one he's talking to tonight. You're the one. You're the one who caused my computer to die this morning so I would rewrite the message with that whole idea of God and the details in mind. So you better get saved tonight because that was a lot of a hard day, okay? <laughs> and somebody in this room has got something so big you have basically blocked, out, blocked it out. And it's something in your past and you've just learned how to live life without even going there because you don't know what will happen if you face it head on. Somebody in this room is dealing with some current circumstance that you feel a lot of shame about. And somebody in this room has got a real issue in your relationship with God. You really don't think he likes you. I'm guessing there's somebody in each one of those categories in this room. And that's what this time is for. This time is for you. You can make your chair into an altar. You can kneel there. You can come in the aisle and kneel there. You can come out here and just kneel. There are going to be people who are ready to pray with you. You can just, um, if you put your face all the way down, they'll usually leave you alone, okay? Do whatever you want to do. This is your time. You chose to come to chapel tonight. You chose to be here. Don't leave the way you came.